Hey everyone, welcome to episode 119, uh, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, and I am happy to say that the gang is all here for the first time in, gosh, I don't, even, time. I don't even know how many episodes, but for the second week in a row, we also have a special guest. This week, it's Donna Bursky, who is pastor of our newly minted FHC Winter Park Campus. She's also a 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff podcast alumnus going all the way back to episode nine. Ooh, good, good history on that. <laughs> Living with focus. So if you want to go back and check out that episode as well to get more of Donna, which is what we need, then go back and check it out in the archives. So congratulations on the launch of Winter Park Campus and welcome back. Thank you. So last week was our first ever lost the entire episode in the recording process where yours truly tried to recreate an amazing discussion that happened that no one will ever hear. But in the end, we decided that sharing our story with others, our true deep down fears, tragedy, life is more like a struggle than a social media post stories, is the best way to let others see that the Bible has changed lives for the better. It's guided the worst situations in life into lives of meaning, lives of peace, and lives of love. So if you've missed anything, including episode nine with Donna, you can swipe up in iTunes, everything is there for you, or hospitalchurch.org slash podcast, and they are all there as well. All right, on to this week. Now, I'll have to admit, when I first saw the title, I was like, man, Donna's getting off easy. I mean, we had Jeff start out with, you know, aren't we supposed to be happy, but suicide <laughs> rates are at an all-time high. Andy follows up with, what did we have here? Uh, I don't, have you I don't remember. remember and then Edwin gets, the, <laughs> Edwin gets the double barrel of how do we know that the Bible's inspired and how do we know that the books that are even, how do we know they got them right? And I'm like, so how do I know what voices to allow to speak into my life, including media, friends, and even spiritual influencers? So it seems like, hmm, this should be pretty easy. But then as I started to think about it, I'm like, there's going to be so many camps on every side of this question almost a gray area wasteland, if you will, because there's interpretations, there's rationalizations, denominations, personal beliefs and prejudices, all clouding a possible clear view on what and who should be molding our view of anything, but most guardedly, our spiritual well-being and our spiritual views. So this subject is not a softball, as one might assume at first glance, is it? At all. <laughs> so what was your thinking initially when you were asked to take on this question and in the process, did your view of this subject or the answers that you maybe thought were there, any of those change in importance or in definition to you as you finished going through your preparation? So we ended with the spiritual practice of paying attention. And I think that for all of us, so much of this discussion is personal mm. and comes back to, do you test what you hear? Ooh, you're making me test it now. <laughs> yeah, by scripture, with prayer, whatever. And, you know, that's the spiritual side. The personal side is, does this influence my life with God in a positive way? Only I can answer that question completely honestly for myself. Yeah, and there, yes, there's, there's lots and lots of people who will casually say, I don't believe in God, for instance. Mm -hmm. And um, it always bothers people who have studied carefully and have come to the conclusions either way through serious thinking about it, looking at it, and investigating it. Sure. And so I think, that, again, it's what we give our attention to, and we, we've done our homework, so to speak, and tested against things that we believe in. Jeff? Yeah, and I think testing is really kind of an interesting piece to that because there are a lot of 
answers out there. I mean, when you talk about social media, you talk about all the different opinions, you talk about the things that we get flooded. Years ago, we, we didn't have so many different sources. You just found the one that you thought you trusted and you went with it. Yeah. Almost but, easier. Yeah, it felt way. easier at least. One, one newspaper yeah. came to your, <laughs> yeah. your town, that was it. <laughs> That's yeah. it, yeah. Or one or two people that you would say are your ones that you respect. But testing it is the, is the piece that I think is important for us because now more than ever, with the flood of things that we have, unless we test it out, we can run up a, a lot of different <laughs> trees on these beliefs. Because really, if we're not testing it, then essentially what we're either saying is we have all knowledge mm-hmm. and we understand it and it's, it's done, so, it's consensus, right? Or, that, we're, or we're kidding ourselves by saying that, oh, yeah, I, I, I know, I know. So I, I was going to ask Donna this question because mm-hmm. I was thinking about it. So what are what are some of your strategies for testing? Again, that's so personal. It depends really what it is. Okay. So if it's the color of your house, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know that instantly. Yeah. Um, so you know, spiritual things. I think that we test with the body of Christ. If I think I have. Some brand new idea never been thought of before from something I read in the Bible. I'm hopelessly wrong. Everything's (laughs) Everything's out there. Mm -hmm. So to test it with the body of Christ, if it's spiritual, with, you know, prayerfully, with personal study, which I think is more and more easy to get away from as more and more Mm. things are out there to take from other people. And I said, and I still believe, that for influences and the things that we use to fill our mind, if we are paying attention to our soul, our conscience, yeah, it's telling us. It is. But our, again... I block it very easily. Oh, yeah. But it's talking if I pay attention, and it's telling me. I'm glad that you said that because I love the Barbara Brown Taylor quote that you used that said, holy ground moments create reverence, reverence which points out to us points out to us our limitations and reminds us of our helplessness without God. And I thought to myself, whoa, I mean, if you really stop and read that one over and saying that holy ground moments, they create reverence. And I'm like, reverence is so overlooked or just kind of put mm-hmm. to the side mm-hmm. anymore where we're searching for experiences, we're searching for friendships, we're searching for feel good moments to pick us up when we've had a long week. Support to our arguments. Right. And then sometimes that reverence gets put off to the side. If you believe what she's saying there, and I I do believe it myself, that we need those points. And that realization of our limitations and helplessness without God, that's a must if we hope to emulate these examples you gave of Joshua and Joseph and Moses. Reverence to me requires humility, and to be humble is one of the most countercultural personality traits, I think, that are left and that you can possibly possess these days. But it's also, I think, the one that's most difficult to live genuinely. So how do we invite someone to live a life of reverence in a 24-7, 365, always-on world? So I think one thing reverence does is remind us that we stand in comparison only to a holy God. Mm. Yeah, it's what keeps us in touch with our human depravity. Yep. There's that, and it's also, you know, this has been a horrible day, or someone has treated me remarkably horribly, or whatever. When you start looking to God with reference, you realize that Jesus experienced these things. I really Mm. have no room to complain. Right. 
and that when I stand in comparison to the holiness of God, you know, I am a worm. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And it puts everything in perspective. So what do we tell somebody then that is maybe new to Christianity or they're new to Jesus, even maybe a belief of God saying, yeah, I don't know. I've been listening to those guys on that podcast, and I don't know, maybe I'm starting to believe a little bit. Maybe I'm going to move just a bit so that God starts moving the ship and see if all this is true. Because now we're asking someone to use that comparison with a whole bunch of faith in something that they just really don't understand. So my question then is to someone who's just like just new or they're kind of back into it or they're struggling and maybe the person with the baggage that goes, I already know all this. I'm still not sure. This is the second time around. How do we communicate that to someone who's maybe spiritually young that needs to say, I do need to take this time. It is important. Mm -hmm. It's how I'm going to continue to build. I think that's a tough question to answer, but was hoping someone might want to take a stab at it. Oh, whoever our speaker was would know the answer. It's that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the first thing I want to say to that person is, you're not a worm. I said that about me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah exactly. In keeping perspective of I'm a fallen human being in need of grace, mm-hmm. and on the side of I am a child of God adopted into his family, they'll sort of counterbalance each other, and we can sort of go to the one we need the most that <laughs> they're both going to stay true. Sure. Uh, so that, I think that can help us as well. You know, I think sometimes we just, in our narcissistic ways, it, it is I don't per- you mean in my narcissistic uh, way. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll take ownership. <laughs> I was just talking to somebody about this today. There's a side to us that want, we want things for God as opposed to from God. Hmm. And because a lot of times what it feels like, the things that I'm asking, you know, I'm, I'm wanting and, and, and in my lack of humility, I'm wanting God to change something. He mm. needs to be responsible for me or for this or for that. or And rather than saying, what do I want from God? And it's a different perspective because if I say, if it's from God, then I start to think, wait a minute, there's things within me that I start to realize that are about me that mm-hmm. God actually has to do for me. Because in my depravity, all of a sudden I start to realize, wait a minute, I'm not in control. So I can't say I want that or I want this or I need this. And when I say from God, it's like if I look at a beautiful picture, if I say I want for that picture to be da 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 yeah. then I'm trying to control the picture. But if I say, but what do I want from that picture? Now the picture gets to be what it really was supposed to be, hmm. and God gets to be who he really was supposed to be for me, my Savior. Do you see the difference? It, tra- yeah. it changes my perspective in terms of now that picture, granted, God is a much bigger, more profound <laughs> sure. than a picture. Mm-hmm. God actually gets to be God. And if I start thinking in those terms that I let God be God, I think then it changes how I see myself in terms of my depravity, in terms of all of the pieces that are broken inside of me. Well, I think where Donna came down about the importance of our attention, that really all we have to give is our attention. Yeah. And be able to say, okay, God, what do you want from me? You know, what, what do I want from God? From God, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because God is God. I have to let that be. Yeah. And I can't let me be that. 
that's really difficult. And I appreciated that your focus immediately after what we were just talking about kind of shifted to what Andy was saying. You, you brought that over to this, this need of practicing the art of paying attention and the things in our lives that require us to kind of slow our roll, so to speak. But as I was thinking about that, that's something that most of us don't do very well. It's not something that we're just like, oh, man, things are so busy. And then what do we do? We jump on to the next thing in our to-do list. We check our emails. We, you know, go do the dishes. I mean, whatever. We don't just stop and go, maybe I should take 10 minutes right here and just see if I could just slow down for a little bit and maybe even just read a book. That I mean, there's a start, right? Something that we can just be quiet with in ourselves. But the question that then came up to me was, does God require this for us to slow down? In order for us to hear, I mean, is he going to talk to us if we don't make this effort like you talked about to move something, slow something down, move something out of our way so that we have this time? Does he or will he want to compete for our attention? So last evening, my grandson was at my house. Ooh, lucky grandma. Right? Lucky grandboy. (laughs) Oh, there you go. Anyway, and I was talking to him about something, and he was playing a video game and not listening. Oh. So we will not hear God unless we clear out enough of everything else in our ears and in front of our eyes to hear. There's just no way around that. <laughs> and we, I think we have to recognize that Satan's pretty smart, and diversion yeah. is his chief tool. If he can keep diverting us so we don't pay attention, then he, it's the same as ten, same as paying attention to the wrong thing. Yeah. We don't have to be focused on evil for evilness to have its way in our lives. we just got to not be focused on God. And it'll happen real naturally. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> All that the devil has to do is keep us busy. Yeah. I know this is not part of, the, of your plan, no, probably, Andy, but I do want to ask, because I think it's an opportunity for us to sort of promote Winter Park campus. Yeah. So this last week, Donna spoke at both our morning sir, our morning and noon service, <laughs> and, the, and then she went over and also did her campus at Winter Park. So, so how was that different than church here? So the Winter Park campus is small and informal, and we sit around tables. We stop during the sermon, and everyone talks at their table a little bit about the topic. Then we share that with the group and continue and finish the sermon. It's a place to develop friendships and to worship, to pray, and it's just a it's a very informal, casual. Do I have to talk if I'm sitting at a table? No, oh, I can I, I can take a, a skip bow. And there were people who didn't, <laughs> but there. But I also noticed that pretty much everyone ultimately began to talk. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. very comfortable. There's yeah. no pressure. And when does this happen? Every single Saturday at five o'clock. At five o'clock, where? Winter Park Campus in the Conference Center on the second floor. So that's Florida Hospital Winter Park. Yeah. yeah. All right. right. Perfect. So I'm sorry. We no. got a little no, time left. Oh, I, I didn't want to miss that. No, no. We <laughs> were going to – but we're good. Does anyone have anything personally that you use successfully, mildly, or wildly, whichever way that might be, hopefully more on the wildly than the mildly because I think we're all probably at least – you know, Crazy Squirrel gets a nut every so often <laughs> – but that helps you slow down and remind yourself or to take some time and to find yourself connecting with God so that we don't just get overrun with all these different things that we're letting in. It's meditation. Just paying attention, just stopping and paying attention to the breath so I don't have to keep, don't think of anything else. And uh, just taking a few moments to still uh, can change things for me. 
for me, because and that's really good because I I sometimes my expectations for the day. I start off right <laughs> off the bat going, here's what yeah. I have to be to be productive. Oh, I hear. And so for me, I have to plan meditation or I have to plan to stop and notice. Otherwise, I just move from one thing. You know, it's really easy to just stop noticing things. Yeah. You can stop really quickly noticing things by moving from or leaving things undone for that purpose. Sometimes sure. we just leave them undone so we can so we don't have to stop and notice something. Uh, of course. Donna? So there are different things for me. I try to start my day, and it's hard because I want to go first thing to the news. I just do. But to start my day with a little bit of just absolute silence, meditation, just being with God, changes the rest of the day in terms of being aware of God. Yeah. I also have a habit when I drive of taking some time just to put stuff aside and just have a conversation with God. You know, and some days are better than others. Well, of course. <laughs> and I, I was pretty sure you were saying that every day and you had this thing in the car where you turned on 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, but listen to the podcast. <laughs> I, you, you surprised me with that one, but that's okay. <clears throat> so as we head out of that, this week, one of our FHC takeaways asked, what is one distraction you could remove from your life this week that would make more time and space for God? And I chose this because, I mean, we all know that life is hard and adulting can be hard. So this is asking simply, though, what is one distraction? It's not all of your distractions or even two of your distractions, which I dare say we all deal with more than that. But what would removing just one look like? How would that added space for God allow him to work? Maybe remove a burden you've been feeling, carrying with you that extra load of something else that's been on your mind. Maybe an answer to a question or a decision you've been stumbling over. One simple distraction removed. So it's just something to think about this week. And if, I mean, pick an easy one. You know, pick the, yeah, really. Pick, you know, try to find something that's just the easiest possible thing that you could – like, don't do the dishes, you know, for one day or something. I don't know. But try to find something that's <laughs> one simple thing that, that you could do without or you could remove and just be intentional with that time with God and see if something wouldn't change. And maybe that's the catalyst to get that ship out of port, as we say here often. So we are going to tie in our final thoughts this week with the Bible verse that was included with the FHC takeaways, which was from Jeremiah 29, 13. And in the message edition, which I love the message. Thank you. When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. How absolutely beautiful is that promise that we can hold on to? And commit to removing just that one distraction from our lives as a step forward to not being disappointed. That would be pretty awesome. All right. So upcoming this week is part five. And is it you, Andy? It's me. Let's see. It's the question this week is, why don't we talk more about unique SDA beliefs? Do we have unique beliefs? <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that. Okay. Because <laughs> is it important that Adventism be different than other denominations? We've got to deal a little bit with the idol of differentness. differentness. Yep. Ooh, goodness. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I see emails. That's Andy at hospitalchurch.org. If you'd like to get out ahead of this and just give him some tips and pointers for this yeah. message for the upcoming week, we'd be, he'd be happy to give you a response. So. I could use them. <laughs> There you go. Well, that is going to do it for this week. Thank you, Donna, for your message this past week, your ministry at the new Winter Park campus. Amen. And, of course, for taking time today and sharing with us. And, of course, always to Andy, Jeff, and Tom. Do join us again next Wednesday for Episode 120. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.